You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. And so, first of all, let me just welcome you and say I'm so grateful again to see you guys here. Um, this group that's here right now as people are coming in is kind of the, the central core. You guys are often the ones who tune in early to hear what the conversation's uh, like before we get started. Um, and uh, of course, um, this morning you came into uh, discussions here about the conflict going on in Israel and Palestine. And um, I wanna say, I know we'll be spending a bit of time talking about this uh, this morning. Um, you know, it is something that is huge. It's the biggest conflict in the globe right now and is something that has been so long standing and as Max was pointing out is a conflict that um, involves the second largest military force in the country, uh, I mean, in the world as um, um, from Israel as, as one of the parties involved there. And um, so it's important to know, one of the things that I think we try to do here at Central and we do sometimes better than others um, is to stand in the middle of tension and recognize the difficulty and complexity of things, not wanting to just reduce things to simple solutions and simple answers or simple um, kind of declarations of this is right and the other side is wrong. Um, but I also like that this is a community where we talk about things that are really difficult and we process and wrestle with those together, particularly things that have such an enormous impact for people's lives in the world. Um, and so know that there is always room for discussion and, and learning. Um, but I think there are some important things to remember as we think about what's going on in Palestine, uh, in a Palestinian and Israeli conflict. Um, and particularly, um, Max also pointed out earlier in our conversation here that um, this is so much about, at this point here, power dynamics and power differentials. And um, that um, in the Israeli and Palestinian conflict, <clears throat> it's been since 1948 that Israel has even existed as a country. And before that, Jews, Christians, and Arabs lived together in relative harmony um, in Jerusalem. And so there is so much complexity about the United Nations coming in and establishing a nation and moving people out of what had been their homes for generations. And that's the backdrop where now so many people find themselves torn and ripped away from homes. And this most recent conflict comes in the middle of um, uh, Muslim holiday celebrations and um, 
and the eviction of a people from their homes. Um, and it's so unbelievably complicated, um, but uh, gosh, I don't even know where exactly to, to leave that in end, except to say this is an area that just needs so much attention and action um, and thought and prayer, but not just thought and prayer. Um, we get to be a part of making peace in the world moving forward. And this is an area that's just so unbelievably important because as many of you know, coming from um, places of having changed your own religious ideologies, those things are so difficult and complicated to bring in. Um, but this morning, our prayers are with all of the people involved and especially with um, the occupied people of Palestine. Um, and so in, in, as we uh, open things this morning, um, I wanted to open us in prayer, but I also wanted to share this prayer um, that is from um, a Jewish rabbi, um, Rabbi Naomi Levy, and it's a prayer for peace in Israel, specifically right now in this context. So would you join me in prayer? God, our hearts are breaking. Our brothers and sisters in Israel crouch in fear as sirens pierce the air and rockets from Gaza rain down from the sky. We pray that all Israelis, Jews, and Arabs will live in peace. We pray for the day the riots in the streets of Israel will give way to sound children playing. When hate will be healed, when the sound of sirens will give way to songs of hope. We are all God's children, and in God's light, we are all one. We pray there be no more violence or bloodshed within Israel, and we pray that, pray that Israelis and Palestinians will find a path to peace. Hear our people's prayers, and hear the prayers of innocent civilians in Gaza who share our longings for an end to this conflict. Watch over Israel and Palestine, over all our brothers and sisters who live there. Spread your shelter of peace over the Holy Land and all its inhabitants. Bring peace, God. Let it rain down from the heavens like a mighty storm. Let it wash away all hatred and bloodshed. Peace, God. Please, God. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I wanted to share, which I thought was really fitting um, in the middle of this conflict happening and, um, and just continuing to escalate here. This is a prayer by Reverend Anna Bladell um, from In Fleshed, which we've been sharing quite a bit of. And it is a um, gathering prayer for liberation. Um, not just specifically with Palestine and Israel, though, of course, that applies there, but 
um, and alignment of ourselves and our community with liberation. <clears throat> so hear these words this morning and uh, let this be our prayer. Wild and wondrous God, creator of all, spirit of life and love and liberation, mother and lover and conspirator and friend, tender, tender of possibility and dream. You've called us together in this time and this place. And so here we are, full of wisdom and wondering, full of hope and fear, weariness and longing, passion and pain. Unleash your wild power in us, we pray. Deepen our connection with you and with each other. Deepen our capacity to hear the voice of those too often silenced, to honor the presence of those too often erased, to center the wisdom of those too often pushed to the margins, that we might bear witness to the complex truth of our holy, holy lives and the complex needs of your beautiful broken world. We remember those who have brought us to this place, who have labored with you and labored for us to make a way out of no way, dreaming dreams, envisioning visions, both ancient and new, the communion of prophets, saints, and teachers, queer lovers and freedom fighters and fugitive dreamers, our ancestors, the great cloud of witness, those who whisper their wisdom in stories, songs, and poems those who give birth to moments and moments of liberation, of healing, of justice and love. We remember to honor the legacies of resistance, resistance to evil, injustice and oppression that have enabled our being and invited our becoming. We remember to honor the legacies of faith in beauty, joy and gladness that have enabled our being and invited our becoming. So beloveds, bring your beautiful, messy, aching, wondrous selves, bring your laughter, bring your rage, bring your tears, bring your fear, bring your insights that only you can offer. Bring the imagination that bursts open old wineskins because divinity dwells in our flesh and bones because Divinity delights in that which is other, different, strange, deemed illegal, incompatible, unworthy. Because Emmanuel, God in flesh, makes the impossible possible. Because we need each other. Because our liberation is bound up together. Because we must love each other and support each other. Because we must fight each other, fight for each other, and learn from each other. Because we have nothing to lose but our chains. Because the fear that nothing else is possible is deadening and deadly. Because freedom is a constant struggle and the labor is hard, but it is holy too, and there is joy to be found in laboring together. because the gospel is indeed good news. And the gospel's story brings the powerful down from their thrones and lifts up the lowly. And God's story is our story, the story that's being written 
and that we write together. May it be so. May we make it so. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you haven't yet, uh, please feel free to grab something for communion. Um, didn't give that reminder because we're so engaged in conversation this morning, but that's all right. You have plenty of time. Um, in keeping with the theme a bit, I'm just going to read a short um, prayer uh, to enter communion. Um, it's actually by uh, a group called Jewish Voices for Peace, and it was written in 2014. So, um, <laughs> it, which in, in many ways is still very late, late, late in the conflict, but it's just a reminder of how it seems every few years or so we're back in the same place and as tensions rise. Um, and we are again brought um, to the need of, of um, fighting for and praying for peace and justice. So this is where this comes from. A little intro to it. Um, it is a Jewish tradition to confess our sins in the plural, knowing that even if we personally have not committed every sin, God forbid, our souls are bound up with the other. In this spirit, um, this is an invitation to respond to each of these sentences by, respond, by responding ashamnu. Um, that's ashamnu. Um, and it's, that means we have been guilty in Hebrew. And I'll actually drop it in the chat so you have it. Ashamnu. Um, and then in the second, in the second uh, stanza, we'll respond by saying hallelujah. So I invite you to uh, join me in, in this prayer, especially um, as we were just talking, we are so intertwined and wrapped up um, even as, as the church um, in America. Um, let's pray. For the children living in fear of bombs, ashamnu. For the children killed by bombs, ashamnu. For the children made orphans by bombs, ashamnu. For the grieving parents, ashamnu. For valuing Jewish lives over lives of others, ashamnu. For ignoring the daily humiliation and violence of occupation, ashamnu. For not believing there is another way, ashamnu. We must praise, hallelujah, for all the blessings of the sacred work to ensure justice and dignity for all people. So we'll say hallelujah after these. For the blessing of common purpose, hallelujah. For the blessing of supporting in ways seen and unseen the liberation struggle of the Palestinian people, hallelujah. For the blessing of participating in ways seen and unseen in the liberation of the Jewish people from the cruel role of oppressing another people, hallelujah. For the blessing of participating in ways seen and unseen and bringing peace, reconciliation, hope, and healing to a wounded place in our world, hallelujah. For the blessing of living in a world in which healing is always possible, hallelujah. For the blessing of living in a world in which efforts towards love and justice always bring good, whether or not we witness their results, hallelujah. We must bring new light to shine, not on our guilt, but on our power to ensure justice and dignity for all people, ashamnu, hallelujah, blessing for healing.
And with that, I invite you to take both the bread and the cup, um, a tradition that we carry on each week from a story um, from the center of this conflict um, and uh, a reminder of the ways that we are one and bound together um, as the body um, of God. So I have a cookie this morning. I invite you to take your bread, your Cheez-Its, your cookie, and your cup. Amen. All right, thanks, Max. This morning, or this week, is pretty light. Gathering is Wednesday at 7, and Philosophy is Thursday at 6. And then uh, just a reminder that the blood drive is coming up this Thursday if you want to sign up for it. And then that's it. Pass it on to you, Aaron. Thanks, Angie. So prayer requests, words of thanksgiving, joys and concerns. You can unmute and raise your voice that way, uh, or you can always put it in the chat. And I'll do my best to see it from there. Um, I just want to also just take a moment here at the top and say thank you to all of you uh, for your prayers um, and just outpouring of support via text and whatever uh, last week. Uh, it was a really scary thing um, with Lucy in the hospital and, and having to need some minor surgery, but it was um, it was very it was very difficult uh, as you can imagine. Even though it wasn't like a life threatening thing there was still a lot of blood loss and some, some anxiety about that. And so thank you. And just, you know, Lucy is doing really well. Uh, she, you know, as far as she's, as she knows, she's a hundred percent and she's running around doing all the kid stuff. She has um, some slight uh, restrictions as to what she can't do, but um, she's doing, she's doing fabulous. So thank you to everybody uh, for the outpouring of support and uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, other prayer requests, words of Thanksgiving, anybody want to share something? Well, I wanted to know, uh, where was her care internally? Um, wh where was her care? So, yeah, she, on a playground, um, injured herself internally. Um, I'll just be blunt, uh, her vagina. She needed um, some stitches as a result of a tear on some playground equipment. And it was a deep, it was a deep tear. And so she needed some stitches there, but the prognosis is really good. It didn't damage anything else. <laughs> and um, she should be fine in a, in a few weeks. And again, she doesn't, she's not in any pain. She's not experiencing any discomfort that we know of. So yeah, but thank you for your concern, Doug, and everybody else. Anybody else today? I appreciate Bob and Max leading us through uh, a time of prayer for what's taking place right now in, in the um, in Israel and in Palestine. Um, so I don't feel like we need to cover that again, but um, it's a conversation that will continue to unfold here at Central uh, in the coming weeks, I'm sure. But um, with that, Max, I'm gonna turn it over to you for a reflection. Thanks. 
So um, we were gonna talk about this last week, um, but um, as you probably know, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about the ongoing series um, that we're calling Luminaries and about different faith figures and different uh, thought leaders that have influenced, I know, Aaron and many of our journeys. Um, so I'm gonna read a snippet from Rob Bell. Um, I will admit that he, uh, reading his books, I think, uh, Love Wins, I think, I mean, um, sorry, Velvet Elvis, I've read in high school and that really was just like, one of the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, it's as Aaron was showing really was one of the the breaks in the dam of like, oh, there's a totally different way to think about my faith, um, et cetera. So um, I wanted to read um, this, this quote I'm actually going to read is from um, uh, Love Wins, which is one of his uh, later books um, that was quite controversial, weren't they all? Haven't they been? Um, and I think is really, really apropos for our um, community. Um, to me, read, going back and reading it now really feels like, oh, that that was like the process of deconstruction before that was even a, you know, a, a cool word or a word that, you know, most of the church is now all terrified of. Um, but especially for this, uh, for this group, I thought it would be appropriate. So um, I'll, I'll put it um, in the chat too. Um, but we're just going to read it and meditate on it um, just for a couple minutes here as, as we commonly do. I'll read it a couple times. Um, so this is Rob Bell from the book Love Wins, subtitle, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. So, you know, just that little topic. Um, here we go. I'll put it in. As we experience this love, there's a temptation at times to become hostile to our earlier understandings, feeling embarrassed that we were so simple or naive or brainwashed, or whatever term or terms arise when we haven't come to terms with our own story. These past understandings aren't to be denied or dismissed, they're to be embraced. Those experiences belong. Love demands that they belong. That's where we were at that point in our life and God met us there. Those moments were necessary for us to arrive here at this place, at this time, as we are. Love frees us to embrace all of our history, the history in which all things are being made new. I invite you to, ref to reflect on that I know it's probably a story that many of us can relate to. And I'll read it again. As we experience this love, there's a temptation at times to become hostile to our earlier understandings, feeling embarrassed that we were so simple or naive or brainwashed or whatever terms arise when we haven't come to terms with our own story. These past understandings aren't to be denied or dismissed, they're to be embraced. Those experiences belong. Love demands that they belong. That's where we were at that point in our life and God met us there. Those moments were necessary for us to arrive here at this place, at this time, as we are. Love frees us to embrace all of our history, the history in which all things are being made new.
may it be so. Amen. Thanks, Max. That's a really good quote, um, especially for this community here, right? And so we're in a series now called Luminaries, which Max mentioned, which is about the key thinkers and writers that have inspired not just me, um, but have been formative for this community, hopefully, uh, and the greater community of progressive Christianity out there. <laughs> we started this series really a couple weeks ago with discussing Rachel Held Evans near the anniversary of, of her death. And then last week, uh, we looked at feminist theology in general and the greater movement of it within uh, progressive Christianity. This is kind of a tough series to do because it's hard to pick out single individuals whose work has had more of an impact on us than others and whose work I think warrants a larger discussion. I wanna to begin today actually by asking a question and hearing from you. I'm, I'm curious what thinkers or authors, artists or speakers have had a big impact on your spiritual journey and why? Obviously, we're going to get into Rob Bell here, but I'm just, I'm curious to hear from the outset. I want to stimulate a conversation at the outset here. You know, who has had a really big impact on your spiritual journey and why? And maybe we can get into them uh, in this series. Does anybody want to share? You can always put it in the chat too, if you don't want to say anything more than <laughs> just that, just the name. besides you. Nice. Thanks, Rodney. No, I am the only one that matters. You know that. <laughs> but thank you. That was a, that's a really sweet thing to say. Dan says, Aaron, oh, that's really nice. I'm not going to cover myself in this series. I'm not going to spend a week talking about, here's how I've been really influential. That would be a little weird. But I invite you to share about that. <laughs> I have one. Um, it's been a long time since I read his book, but Peter Gomes. Gomes, how do you spell that last name? G-O-M-E-S. Okay, I'm not familiar with Peter Gomes. He wrote a book, I think it's called The Good Book, and it basically gives you a new framework for how to read the Bible in a really? contemporary mindset. He's a Harvard professor, African-American guy. Very cool. And so that was that was a, a, a moment for you reading. How long ago did you read that book? Man, uh, maybe 2004. Okay. Something like that. Wow. wow. And tell, tell us more about how that impacted you. I'm, I'm curious. It just opened my mind. It was kind of the first book that I read where it was, I realized I did have to accept the Bible as a static work. I kind of, it opened my mind to view the Bible as the living word, like a word that changes to fit different times. So it just changed my whole perspective of thinking about what time the guys who wrote the Bible were in versus how we can interpret it now. And it's not changing it to reinterpret it in different ways, if that makes sense. Sure, sure, I see what you mean. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I didn't know back in 2004. It sounds like your deconstruction might have be, began back in 2004. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm seeing lots of 
good comments in, in the chat. Um, James Cone, people mentioned, and just so you know, we are going to cover James Cone in this series. Uh, two weeks from now, uh, I'm actually I'm actually finishing um, the cross and the lynching tree right now. Um, but James Cone, I think, is a very important figure that a lot of us haven't heard of, but whether you know it or not, has actually had a deep impact on progressive Christianity and even this community from the vantage point of what's called liberation theology, which we'll get into the same week we look at James Cone and Gustavo Gutierrez and Latin American theologians. So we're gonna cover Latin American theologians and the, the, the influence of James Cone, who was, as many of you know, uh, is, is, well, no, I'm sorry, he died, but was a black liberation theologian and the father of black liberation theology in the United States. So anyway, we are gonna cover that uh, two weeks from now. Um, great stuff. Anybody else wanna share? Yes to Roar. <laughs> we will cover Caputo in this series. I mean, how can we not? I mean, I, I don't And yes, Peter Rollins. I, everyone's waiting for me to cover Peter Rollins. Like, he's going to get to Peter Rollins. Yes, we will get to Peter next week. Thomas Merton, I see. Yeah. I need to read more Thomas Merton, Nadia Boltz-Weber, Brene Brown, yeah, Barbara Brown-Taylor. Those are really good names, Bob, yeah. Good stuff. So we're talking about Rob Bell today. And in many ways, Rob was a trailblazer for progressive Christianity, especially for millennials and Gen Xers like us, I'm kind of on the cusp between, I guess I have one foot in the millennial generation, one foot in Gen X, I'm 45. And so Rob is really kind of the trailblazer for our generation into progressive Christianity. And he really cut a path, therefore, for many others who have since walked down it. What made him so influential was that he was this young, innovative, megachurch pastor, right? He was the pastor of a big church in, in Western Michigan, 20 years ago, and he had a, so he had a big audience, and he dared even then to push things to the left just a little bit, which at the time felt very daring. I mean, just him questioning biblical inerrancy, right, this idea that the Bible is perfect and infallible, just him questioning that a little bit, just him questioning patriarchal assumptions about God or suggesting that all truth is God's truth, whether it comes from science or other religions, just him suggesting those things and poking at those things was like mind blowing for a pastor to say back then. And, you know, books like Velvet Elvis, which I think was his first book, um, really were, were part of imagining what Christianity would look like in, in, a, in an atmosphere that questioned those things. Um, just him doing that back then was pretty radical, um, especially a mega church pastor who was well respected at that time. <laughs> at that time, he was well respected by evangelicals. Uh, but his books and videos, his NUMA videos, I don't know if you're familiar with his NUMA videos, uh, as they were called, that really drove him in, into the national spotlight, such that Time Magazine 10 years ago in 2011 named him one of the most influential people in the world, one of the top 100 influential people in the world. So Rob Bell basically succeeded because he's a master communicator and a brilliant marketer of, of ideas. I think a lot of people don't, don't give him enough credit for that. He knows what people want to hear or need to hear and how to present 
and frame things just right. He's also really good at using technology to his advantage and in a lot of ways uh, other ministers uh, are not and we're not. He was kind of on the cutting edge of that on all that. But what made him really popular and effective early on was his incorporation of Jewish and rabbinic writings and his contextualizing of the Old Testament into the New Testament, his contextualizing of Christianity within its Jewish roots, uh, and also contextualizing Christianity within its own history. He really is a historian uh, in, so, in so many ways. That really is what made him, I think, really good in a lot of people's eyes. Um, and he really was, you know, a student of church history and biblical history and, and brilliantly showed people how certain stories and passages in the Bible rose out of a particular historical and cultural context. And thereby, he really showed people the hidden meanings, if you will, uh, the hidden meanings they never saw before in these stories and passages they were already familiar with. Um, and that really kind of made him deconstructive, actually, as well, by, by peeling back the layers of scripture and getting at the historical and cultural context underneath he made people have these aha moments in being like, well, wait a minute, that completely changes this passage. So he was really, he was, he was kind of doing deconstruction 20 years ago, even when it felt like, you know, he was still very evangelical. Um, maybe hopefully that makes sense. So this, this contextualizing Christianity in its, in its historical roots and within its Jewish roots was really his bread and butter. And he definitely influenced me in that area. His, his talk on the book of Revelation, like 15 years ago, is something that I've actually preached on numerous times here. Uh, I've, I've, I, you could say I've borrowed or stolen that <laughs> from Rob and, and some other things over the years. But broadly speaking, he was so influential because he really effectively merged mysticism with Christianity. I think when it's all said and done, this is kind of the bigger part of his leg legacy. He really merged uh, or, or articulated a kind of Christian mysticism. As of late, I'd say he's gotten more into merging New Age philosophy and self-help philosophy with Christianity, which I really don't like that much. Uh, I, I get that that sells books, but I'm kind of turned off by that. I'm, I'm turned off by the whole pastor, life coach, Christian self-help guru thing that's really popular today. Um, uh, and I think Rob's kind of, this is kind of my critique of, <laughs> critique of him. I'm not all like, yay, Rob Bell. I'm also a little critical. Um, I, I think that whole Christian self-help movement is very American, very consumer capitalist and very individualistic, very much about how, how can God help me achieve greatness and personal fulfillment? I think there's some of that in Rob's work today that I don't really like because, you know, the gospel is not about what can God do for me, but what can I do for others? And I think, I think Rob would agree with that. But he's always been more of a mystic than a self-help guru. And this is really what made him successful and appealing to a wide audience of spiritual seekers. Many of them young evangelicals who were done with evangelicalism, but wanted to stay Christian. This is, I think, really his niche audience. Bell helped them, us, discover a kind of Christian mysticism that made sense in the modern world. And I think whether we know it or not, we inherited that from him as progressive Christians. I think, I think a lot of what's going on in progressive Christianity today can be best described as a kind of Christian mysticism, 
uh, Richard Rohr is, is kind of the boomer Rob Bell. <laughs> I refer to him as the boomer Rob Bell. He, Richard Rohr is also kind of leading that as well and has been deeply influential. Maybe we can get into Richard Rohr in this series as well. But Rob was kind of, the, in, my, in my estimation, the first to really merge or begin this kind of experiment with Christian mysticism and getting it into progressive Christianity. Bell was really a trailblazer on that frontier and still is. He's, he's not gone. <laughs> he actually lives here in Los Angeles, but he doesn't pastor anymore. He just kind of uh, podcasts and, and does coaching seminars on how to help people write and speak in ways that accesses their talents and brings out their best. It was really his 2011 book that Max read from earlier, Love Wins, that kind of sealed the deal on his on his fate and got him got him out of pastoral ministry and got him got him out of evangelicalism ousted him i would say from evangelicalism officially the reaction to that book in 2011 that came from the christian right the reaction from the christian right was really epic actually i'm sure some of you read that book it was actually kind of tame uh, by, by central standards, Love Wins was pretty tame. It, it's really not that heretical or radical. I mean, he basically just suggests that maybe Christian universalism has some valid points. This idea that maybe perhaps there isn't just one right religion that you have to believe in or you're doomed. Maybe other religions are equally as valid. Maybe perhaps hell doesn't exist as a place of conscious eternal torment because how could a loving God burn his children for any reason, right? So, so to be clear, he didn't actually take a strong stance or a strong position on those ideas in Love Wins. He basically just framed it all as questions and suggestions meant to spark thought or maybe meant to lead people into, gently lead people into some new ideas. I mean, that's classic Rob Bell, right? Just asking questions, making suggestions. But he caught hell for it, pun intended. And, you know, before we get into what that means, I, I just want to briefly mention this touches on my other critique of Rob. I, I think he's not always, my problem with Rob's books is, is that he's not always really honest with his readers, I feel. You can tell what he really thinks. You can tell what he really believes ostensibly, but, but he, he doesn't really own it. <laughs> Love Wins is a good example of that. And I think, I think that's because he knows that taking a clear stance on controversial topics. I, I think he's more clear now than he was then, to be to be clear. But I think back then he felt that taking a clear stance on these topics is going to alienate some of his audience. It'll it'll diminish his audience size and, and his impact. You know, I get that, but but it kind of bothered me a bit when I was reading Love Wins. And it can kind of come across as as condescending, you know, even though I don't I know that that's not his intent. So that would be my other critique of his work. I wish that he would, he would have owned where he was really at. But the, the point is, he was ousted from evangelicalism really for Love Wins, uh, which, which, which he welcomed. And it was kind of a long time coming. I think it was inevitable. It wasn't just all about Love Wins. Um, John Piper, some of you might be familiar with his reaction to, to that book. Uh, John Piper is this enormously influential evangelical pastor and, and author. And he he quipped on social media, farewell, Rob Bell. That was his reaction to Love Wins. Farewell, Rob Bell, which kind of became the, the soundbite that reverberated <laughs> through the evangelical cybersphere at that time. Rob soon thereafter left his home church, Mars Hill, 
that mega church in, in Michigan that he founded. And part of that, I think, was driven by um, the reaction to Love Wins within his own, his own congregation, as I understand it. Part of it was also driven by his evolving stance on LGBTQ issues, or he was becoming more affirming, which his, his church at that time, I'm not sure where they're at now, but at that time, they were not really on board with. And I think he was also feeling burnt out as a pastor. So all, all of that was part of his exit from evangelicalism and his exit from pastoral ministry. But all of this is part of his legacy, right? All of this is part of his legacy and, and why I think he, maybe more than any other single person, led the charge into progressive Christianity for our generation, us millennials and Gen Xers. And for that reason, I think we owe Rob a lot. I, I personally feel like I owe Rob a lot, uh, not just for the reasons already given, but because he introduced me to the work of Peter Rollins, <laughs> which we'll get into next week. Uh, I'm not going to get into Peter today, but Rob kind of put Peter on the map, again, showing his influence and and uh, his, his influence over progressive Christianity. Peter was kind of this obscure uh, Irish theologian philosopher, and Rob fell in love with his work and promoted him. And again, we're not going to delve into Peter's work today. We'll do that next week. Uh, but I just wanted to mention that because I, I think uh, Peter's become a very big part of progressive Christianity, and that has everything to do with Rob. And it, I simply mention it as a way of an example of how influential Rob has been over progressive Christianity, introducing people uh, like like Peter uh, to to us. Um, so that's my understanding of Rob and his legacy uh, and his import. And uh, I'm curious now to hear how Rob has impacted you directly or indirectly. How do you see his legacy? Um, how do you feel about Rob and his work? Uh, does anybody want to anybody want to share their opinions on Rob today? Um, yeah, I actually have a very unique perspective of this. I am from Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, right. and I started high school the same year that Rob Bell started Mars Hill. So really? I really got to see the impact on him and how the church grew um, in my hometown. I went to a super Christian school. Um, everyone in the parking lot had Love Wins bumper stickers everywhere because they would give really? them Church. I've been to Mars Hill a bunch of times. Um, I went through my, you know, faith evolution in high school as well, because it was very much like, oh, am I a Christian because my parents sent me to the school and they sent me to this church? Or do I actually believe this? So my construction happened around that same time. But it's interesting because his, as the church grew, his effect on my hometown grew too. Uh, West Michigan is very conservative. It's it's pretty purple now, but when I was in high school in the early 2000s, it was really red. It was very evangelical, very conservative. And the things he was preaching had a lot of controversy and effect on Grand Rapids. Uh, it, lots of, he's not really a Christian. And like you said, Aaron, um, millennials were heavily affected by, the, you know, he was really reaching out to them and you know, I think just the thought of conservatism in West Michigan was changing a lot. Um, but I mean, the church grew a lot. And even in my high school, they played the NUMA videos at our Wednesday church service in the morning, wow. um, that kind of stuff. And a lot of parents were mad about that because he was pushing boundaries against all the conservatism and the, the patriarchal stuff in there too. And yeah. 
um, it felt really fresh at the time because it forced us to think it, he's asking questions that we're all kind of thinking for us younger generations. But um, I definitely think he affected my faith journey, even though I didn't attend the church regularly because we were all kind of asking those questions and he gave, I know, a voice to those, especially how conservative, conservative uh, West Michigan is. It really felt like we were being heard. Obviously he's so much different now, but I mean, I graduated college near the end of his time at Mars Hill. And I mean, he had, he had a lot of power. So, so it's really interesting hearing that because I do think he did at least greatly affected the way the younger generations at the time were evolving in their reflection of Christianity. That's interesting, Angie. I wonder if you feel, I wanted to ask you, your opinion on this. I'm about to say something and I'm curious what your reaction to it might be. My understanding is that Rob Bell could not have been as influential as he was and is if he was if he did not come out of West Michigan. In other words, his particular he he got a lot of help to start that church, but mm-hmm. his 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 ability to first of all gain a large church. West Michigan back then, and I don't know about now, you said it's more purple, but everybody went to church in West Michigan, very Dutch, reformed, very conservative. So we had a huge, and people were hungry for a slightly different message. And Grand Rapids has always been full of a lot of young people, right? So mm-hmm. I just, I, I think that West Michigan and Grand Rapids area was actually the only, not maybe not the only place, but the perfect place for somebody like Rob to actually have what he had and have the launch and the career and the influence that he had. Do you see it that way? Oh, I 100% agree with you. Um, it's still so conservative. There is a church on every corner. Um, <laughs> and the, the building that Mars Hill's in was actually given to the congregation. Like it was given to the church. It used to be a, like a strip mall. So yeah, it was donated and they were able to grow within there. I mean, it's, it's what you think of a typical, make, typical mega church. It's all just like, it was like folding chairs and all that stuff. So I, there's a lot, there's a lot of like old conservative money. And I think he was able to connect to the right people. And like you said, it was the community. I don't know if he could have grown anywhere else because it is so Calvinist in West Michigan. It's crazy. So I, I think he was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Thank you for that perspective. Really good, Angie. Yeah. Somebody else want to share? One of the things that I really liked about Rob, first of all, I really like Rob Bell uh, in general. I think he was probably the single most influential person on my faith transition journey. There have been a lot, but he really kicked things off for me, I think. and what I, what I appreciated about him is his complete unwillingness to play the game. I don't think that he wouldn't come forward and say <clears throat> that he 
was affirming was because he wasn't there or didn't want to be there. I think he knew how a response to that would completely destroy what he was trying to do in offering a way to open people's minds to think wider. So, I mean, he notoriously in interviews would avoid questions like that and he would talk circles around it. And um, I actually love that about him in the context at the time. I think he knew what he was doing there. Now, I mean, like everybody else, I don't agree with Rob Bell across the board on uh, on everything that he believes, but the way of thinking that he talks about, about asking a lot of questions, about trying to understand kind of the biblical context of what's going on. I mean, because in his core, I mean, there is very few people, I think, who know their Hebrew Bible as well as Rob Bell. Listening to him talk about the Bible is absolutely fascinating. The guy is just brilliant in a way I wish I could hold and retain as much as he does. But yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know if I can, he's been super, super influential. And I grew up in Michigan like Angie did also, not in Grand Rapids and not in that context, but very familiar with it. So that probably has a particular leaning as well. Thanks, Bob. I was just going to note that for those of you who don't know, uh, he he uh, was a Fuller grad and honestly, probably one of the biggest reasons I ended up at Fuller. Now here and with you all. I didn't uh, know that. I mean, I knew he was a Fuller grad. I didn't know that that was I, the I influence you. Yeah, I mean, he he's kind of the reason Fuller was on the list because it's like, who is this guy mixing things up? Um, where did he get his education? And, you know, that's Fuller. Um, uh, I, I was just going to share uh, a Fuller, Fuller lore about when Rob Bell was there. Um, he apparently almost uh, uh, failed out of all of his preaching classes. And it was because, I mean, as you can probably tell, he has such a different, unique style um, of, like, the way he breaks up communication and, like, plays with the text and really pushes like the boundaries and stuff. And I was just going to say, I think there's some sort of lesson there in that, like someone who is, we all see as a phenomenal communicator now and has been so influential and successful, almost failed out um, of, of the classes trying to teach him exactly the thing that he does. Um, so there's, there's, there's a good, uh, a good lesson there in terms of, not letting the system determine our uh, our gifts and potential. That's all. Yeah, it's interesting. Piper Piper said what he said before the book was released, but he got an early copy of it. He was reacting to it still, right, Bob? Isn't that how that or Max? Or... I think it was the promo video. It was the promo. Yeah. Two two love wins. Yeah. Yep. Oh, From a video where Rob was walking through the alleys and the snow oh, yeah. with his yeah. black coat and just like asking questions about like there's a post-it note and it says uh so, like someone listed Gandhi as a hero. And yeah. it's wrote on it, newsflash Gandhi's in hell. And so he starts, he's yeah. like, Really? You know that for sure. And you felt so so sure about that and so you know, uh, motivated by that, that you actually had to write that. And that kind of just gives the little promo of the book. And after that came out, John Piper was like, farewell, Rob Bell. 
Oh, I remember. I remember the uh, arguments I got into that week. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, me and Bob got into some debates about the book. I remember us debating amongst the three of us almost 10 years ago now. Yeah. And uh, my criticism then is my same criticism now, where I feel like he should have owned where he was really at. And, you know, but uh, look at I, Bob, I completely agree with what you said in the sense that I think it's, 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 we can't be too hard on him and judge somebody who was that out front 10 years ago, pushing the boundaries. And yeah, he made some mistakes. We all do, but he was, he had the courage to stand up against a monument, a monolithic system of hate uh, and, and generations of ingrained homophobia among other things. And he, he was the one that really led the charge on that. We, we should temper our criticisms accordingly. But um, yeah, I, that, that, that uh, slogan, love wins, um, is so powerful in so many ways. And it had such an impact on so many of us. Um, you know, this idea that God is a God of love and whatever doesn't jive with love and justice is not of God. I mean, that's a very, it's very simplistic in some, but it's not, it's, it's an incredibly profound thing, which causes deconstruction because suddenly we start looking at the way we've regarded the LGBTQ community, the way we've regarded black bodies, you know, black lives, or, you know, it's this idea or people from other faiths, you know, that, that is radically deconstructive to say, no, love is supreme, love wins, justice is supreme, not whatever you, whatever your theology is, if it doesn't, if it doesn't um, bring love and justice into the world, then it's, then it's wrong. I mean, that's a radical thing to say that Rob was saying, you know, for here at Central, that doesn't sound very radical anymore, but, but in so many other contexts, that is a radical thing to say. Thoughts about that or, or other thoughts about Rob's impact and legacy? Max, you, by the way, you reminded me that, that part of the reason why I applied to Gordon Conwell and Fuller and part of the reason why I applied to Fuller uh, 15 years ago was because of Rob. Now you reminded me of that. There you go. Yeah, yeah isn't that funny? Yeah. Aaron, I'm curious what your life would have been different if you had gone to Gordon Conwell, <laughs> especially everything they've been through in these last, you know. I, who knows, man? Who knows? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't read, I don't think I've read any of his books, but I did see him talk um, out here once where he did a, a show with Pete Holmes because mm -hmm. he's like, a pal with Pete Holmes and is on his podcast a lot. And I went and heard him talk about one of his books. And um, part of me, uh, part of me is grateful for him because of all the things you talked about. Um, but part of me is sad that he ended up having to just move to LA and be a podcaster. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like he's not pastoring anymore because I think we need more people who are actually pastoring. And he, he, I think he is in his own way, still yeah. a pastor you know, maybe not vocationally, um, you know, with it through his books and through the different things he's doing, but he kind of got exiled to this place where we all came and got exiled. <laughs> it's like Los Angeles where we can, we can do our thing. And it makes me a little sad that that, that is, that's where he's at, but you know, it, that's between him and God. Like I can't judge him for yeah. decisions. Yeah. It was at Largo max. It was awesome. It was packed. And you know, it was, it was to, it was really, interesting to be there because you had people like us like the people living in the tension and i remember one person stood up 
300 people and they're like, is Jesus the son of God? And asked them point blank, do you believe? And um, I don't even remember how he answered the question because <laughs> it wasn't, but I think it showed the struggle in the moment of trying to be like, I want to believe what you're saying, but I also need to believe these certain things that I was taught I need to believe. And I need you to affirm this for me before I can listen to anything else you have to say. And he answered it in a very Rob Bell way, which is very diplomatic and um, affirmed what the person needed him to affirm while at the same time raises all the questions <laughs> that when you walk away, you're like, wait, what did he just say? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I am grateful for people like that who, you know, raise the questions and. Uh, Which is very Jewish of him. I think that's important to understand. Yeah. Like that really comes from his rabbinic and Jewish studies that it's not about providing answers. It's about raising the questions and living into the questions. That, that, that is very Jewish of him. He would argue, I think, yeah. um, you know, he was talking this, about this evangelical impulse, this American evangelical impulse we have for certainty and to have all our questions answered, very modern Western impulse, that, that, that's not very Jewish or ancient, you know, and Rob definitely wanted to inject that back into our Christianity. Yeah, that night he was talking about the, his book that came out about the Bible, what to do with the Bible and how to read the Bible. And that is exactly, you know, he was inserting some of those questions into how to approach the Bible. Which is why he loves Peter. Yeah. Peter Rollins, not Peter the Apostle, but same, same, yeah. Close. Yeah, that's really good, Nathan. Thank you for that. Um, I was going to mention, um, yeah, Rob's influence is pretty broad. I, Peter told me a while back that he went to Rob's house because Pete and Rob are friends and they all live in L.A., uh, Peter went to Rob's house for the Super Bowl, for a Super Bowl get together, like Rob invited him over to watch the Super Bowl with them. And he goes over there and he meets somebody and his name's, his name is um, um, Aaron Rodgers. And he doesn't know who Aaron Rodgers is. And he's sitting, Peter's sitting there watching the game with Rob and Aaron Rodgers and he Googles Aaron Rodgers and sees he has like 5 million Twitter followers. And Peter's like, who is this guy? And so Peter tells me this and I'm just laughing. I'm going to like, you're so not an American. Uh, he's, he's watching the suit and he's asking, and Peter's like, I'm asking this Aaron guy all these questions about football because I have no idea what's happening. He's being very nice and answering all my questions about what a first down is. And he finds out later it's Aaron Rodgers. He's watching the Super Bowl with and grilling about football. Anyway, I say that, I simply say that Aaron Rodgers was going through deconstruction a few years ago, uh, coming out of an evangelical family. <laughs> And he turned to Rob, he could, because reaching out to Rob Bell, if you're Aaron Rodgers, is easy to get a hold of Rob Bell, I suppose. But anyway, that shows, again, kind of Rob's, Rob's impact, influence, and, and net, you would say. Uh, anyway, funny story, right? Any other thoughts? Next week, we will uh, get into the work of Mr. Rollins, and the week after that, uh, my plan is to get into James Cone and Gustavo Gutierrez and liberation theology, um, and then the week after that, I'm thinking Jack Caputo, um, and I don't know exactly where to go after that. I was trying to think of somebody else, but I am very curious about any, um, any thinkers, authors, artists um, that have been influential on you that...
have also maybe been influential on others in the wider movement of progressive Christianity. We have talked about Rachel Hald Evans and feminist theology already. Queer theology, we need to maybe touch on. Um, that, that might be worth looking at. Um, Justin Lee uh, from the, old, the, the founder of Gay Christian Network, no longer involved with them, I think has had a pretty big influence. But I'm just trying to think of others. Nadia Bolts Weber was raised. So anyway, send me a text. I will continue to think about who else we can cover and get into. Um, but yeah.